You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience. The validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. What's up, guys? This is a 3M Podcast. My name is Charlie. My name is DJ. And my name is Sean. We're a comedy horror podcast. We tell scary stories. We tell funny stories. Yert. <laughs> and we back, baby. Uh, it's uh, spooky season's over. Yeah. But is it? No. But we keep it alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys, I just uh, got back from Hawaii. Dude, How was you are it? looking like pretty tan, bro. I know. I feel sexy. How are my people? <laughs> they do an eye. They do an eye. It was um, still angry. <laughs> yeah. Dude, uh, I interacted with like very little Hawaiians. The, <sighs> the only Hawaiian dude I interacted with was. The, as, as we prefer. Yeah. The Uber driver. <laughs> uh, and he was Uber nice. Uh, I called him uncle. Dude, he was like being super like, you know, like, where are you guys headed off to? You know, like. And then I, I don't know how it came up. I was just like, I've eaten horse with tongans. And dude, he went off. He started speaking pigeon. He just started telling me. He's like, ah, oh, did you boil rocks with Samoans? <laughs> and just like started clowning every race, like poly race. It was so funny. And I told him we were on our way to a surf lesson. And he like gave me a full breakdown. Of how, oh, what you want to do, brother? You want to stay real low. You want to stay real low on the board. <laughs> like, he just like went off and taught me for 10 minutes on how to surf. Anyway, Maui was dope. Very different than Oahu. When you travel, what are your goals when you travel? Like, what do you hope to get out of it? Uh, like, for me, or was this like a everybody question? Because you just looked at me when you said it, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, know. there's oh, just God. two of us. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, good food and adventures. Ooh. So we're talking outdoor adventures. I like city adventures, too, like just walking the streets. Actually, when I did that in London, it was super dope because I came across like a couple of like random like – Markets. I was like, this is sick, and just went and taste tested like a ton of stuff mm. on the market. A food crawl. Mm-hmm. Nice. If you will. How about you, Deej? Uh, food is a big one. Food is the one, dog. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be top three for travel. Um, I always want to make it a point to talk to a local and learn about them and oh, the culture yeah. and like connect with people there. Uh, I don't know. Makes it feel purposeful. That's the main just, reason like, why. Oahu and Maui felt so different. It's because I had a very different experience in Oahu. We are straight local. DJ showing us the local spots. We're like literally driving in someone's van who like lives there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in Maui, it was just like resort, pool, beach, which is like super nice. Which is what I called last time you were here. You said, I'm going to Maui. I was like, well, it's where all the old people go and the families go and all they do is stay at the resort. You know what? I'm not going to lie. I kind of like it. I like all fun. the old people. And I feel right fit in, dude. <laughs> I would wake up at the butt crack of dawn and go running on like along the beach, and uh, it was bustling. 
with old people. Yeah. So packed with old people like walking and stuff. <laughs> not just like waving and smiling and they love it, man. But anyway, food, a hundred percent top. And then the other one is to connect with the culture. Like Yeah, no. Top. I always enjoy those way more. Yeah. It like gives a meaning to the trip. Yeah. I feel like in addition, I would say for me is find something spooky. Ooh. Which also can relate to like cultural. Like I've definitely done some like cool tours around the area or like discovered things that I would not have known if I wasn't looking for spookiness. True. But yeah, try and find something locally spooky. I need to be better at that. Like we need to start legitimately planning it into our trips. For instance, we're going to Denver this weekend. Yeah, so. we should look for something spooky. Yeah. Than I do. <laughs> um, um, sorry. You always no, want to go to a lookout. Oh, oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I love I love uh, just seeing where I'm at. If I can get like an overhead view where I'm staying, like it's cool. Kind of see the big big, big picture. Dude, ever <laughs> um, since we did that that one time with you <laughs> go ahead. in what? Denver, I've started doing that too. Like just trying to find a lookout somewhere. Yeah. And it sometimes it's real complicated. <laughs> yeah. Like Minnesota was a little struggle. Yeah. But like normally <laughs> anywhere it's super in the Midwest. Safe. Yeah. So you, huh. you stand you on to top to of a corn stock and, to, and, <laughs> yeah. to look over. Yeah. You just jump on someone's house. Um have you noticed that it is way easier to be an outsider getting in uh, than an insider getting out? What do you mean? Of what? Elaborate. In any, uh, in any circle, social circle, cultural circle. So, like, it's easier to get into, like, a social circle versus, like, like getting out of it? I'm an outsider. Uh, <laughs> I moved to Utah full of white people, and... I get me some white friends and I uh, better my English <laughs> and uh, I dress white and people are like, oh, yeah, we can, uh, we, we can. You assimilated, come on in. Yeah, we can, uh, we can vibe with this, you know, okay. you're, you're safe, Yeah, you know, um, instead of like doing it the opposite way. Does that make sense at all? I don't know because it just, it depends on your perspective because like the opposite way is the opposite way. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> Are you saying like if a white Utah kid went to Hawaii and just started speaking pigeon? No, I, I'm <laughs> saying like, oh, okay, if, if Sean went to Hawaii okay. and lived with my grandma oh, shit. in her Dude, little apartment. Getting abused verbally there probably. <laughs> if he acted like an insider, ate her food, cleaned the house, started learning about the culture, like easily will take you in. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but what's yeah. the opposite to that? Because I'm not understanding. Like, I'm a white person, and well, I mean, I'm not from Utah, but like me leaving, that would be pretty easy, I would say. Being on the inside as like still an outsider, that's the opposite. So, if you went there and like didn't do that, oh, um, that's way more difficult, I would say. Like, to like be yourself, you almost have to like change who you are, like to, appropriate. Like, <laughs> to, to get to like the center of a, a social circle, you have to the social lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see. I kind of see what you're saying though. Like going to another place, trying to stay the same way you are, and not adopt the other cultural or like social norms. Right. Mm. This okay. might be a complete lack of culture on my part, because like. If we're being honest, I think America is pretty culturally shallow for the most part. Like, uh, th there's an argument there. That's not the argument I want to have. What I what I was saying is, when I go places, I love, 
like taking on their culture. Does that same, make sense? Same. It's like that's why when I'm in Hawaii, I love like trying to be Hawaiian, trying to do the Hawaiian things, <laughs> eat the Hawaiian things. That's what I was gonna say. The easiest thing for me to do to like be felt like I'm being taken in is be like, yo. Bring me your weirdest food. I'm going to try it. I want to eat all of the food. Yeah, learn the slang and try the weirdest food, and you'll just, like, be adopted <laughs> in any culture. Like, I came across so many different people in Australia. And, like, that's what you do is you just, like, connect and learn their culture. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I love that stuff, though. <laughs> is the U.S. a cultural hub? <sighs> yes and no. It's hard because. No how, yes how. Um, well, yes, in that there's so many different cultures that have come and just kind of made this their home and no, as in that if it's not your culture, more often than not, it's like, nah, nah, I'm going to stay the same way I am. Right. I think it's, uh, not for everybody. Obviously I don't want to generalize that, but I think it's all here. Everything is here. Everyone is here, but everyone is like spread out. Yeah. And I think that there's also an aspect of Merca. I don't want to adopt anything that's not American. I don't know. know. I was, uh, have you seen the video of the assembly in the school, like elementary school in Pakistan? Uh, No. Where the kids are screaming. They're like, I love Pakistan. (laughs) Yes. And the teacher's like, oh, grape. (laughs) (laughs) I think nationalism is common in every country, especially third world countries. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like they don't got anything else. So like, <laughs> <laughs> they can have pride. It's free. <laughs> Joke. Um, yeah. What are you going into that with? Like nationalism versus culture? Well, Sean was just talking about how they're like people here are just like America, which is true. Not everybody. That, and not everybody. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Am I mixing up culture and tradition? Because the reason I said America is culturally like shallow is because I feel like we don't have really a lot of long-standing tradition and things like that. We're like, like a fairly new country. Yeah, like, yeah. like two hundred years. In my mind, you go to New Zealand. There is a really strong like cultural tradition, and yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. We're here. It's just like I don't know. Baseball. I think my parents or like my great grandparents came over on a boat. Maybe I don't know. Mayflower. Then they crossed a plane. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it was literally like your great grandpa who was like owning. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, my family Slaves. tradition, li- oh, not mine, dude. <laughs> okay, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, my but family, that was recent. Two people ago. Yeah, two people ago. Crazy. two people ago for me, but go ahead. It's probably like one people ago for you. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, well, I, what I was going to say is my family like s- tried to start a tradition uh-huh. and like build a little bit of family culture. And what it was was... On like Christmas Eve, we went to everyone's favorite fast food and everyone got their favorite meal. Bro, being the youngest, you went first. So your food was like dead cold when you got home because <laughs> you were like three hours later in like every single line of every. But that was like our tradition. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, here's a question. Do you prefer, you can only pick one, prefer like the tradition or like really only trying new things? I mean, obviously, there's a mix of both. But if you had to pick one. Oh, man, that sucks. I was with... Uh, I tried new traditions. <laughs> I was with uh, my therapist last week. I met with my therapist last week. And I told her about how... You're so brave. I love connecting, but I also love disconnecting. And I told her at one point, 
I, did she I make a hardcore like scribble on her? <laughs> like, oh, Dude, the ooh. whole time she's like writing down, writing down. <laughs> uh, she's actually incredible. I, I vibe with her a lot. But tell okay. me more about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> when you make a joke and your therapist just starts writing, doesn't you're laugh. Like, you're like, Damn it. <laughs> I was ninety percent joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I told her at one point I kind to I kind of want to just disconnect from everyone here in Utah and leave and. Uh, yeah, just disconnect completely. I said I did that before moving to the Philippines, and I did it again moving to Utah. And she's like, "Do you do that? Why? Why do you think you do that? Is it like a running away kind of thing?" And that was the first time I like thought about like why I like, like that. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing her job. Yeah. But uh, no, I think to answer your question, I just enjoy new things. I and really enjoy new things. So it's like uh, I I feel like it. The more new things I experience, it's like a smorgasbord. It's like mm-hmm. now I have so many more options to to enjoy. Yeah, I'm the same. There's a lot of people I know who are very comfortable in routines. So they return to the same thing over and over. Right. But I constantly am like, I need new. Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I get that. Uh, I satisfy that need through media. Hmm. Yeah. Like I never watch the same thing again. Rarely do I. But... Yeah, so I would like, say, like, for music, too, it's very similar. Like, just always looking for something new. But I also, like, enjoy, like, the nostalgia of traditions. Like, when too. we go and do a trip together that we've done, like, four or five years in a row. Like, I love experiencing new stuff, but I also, every once in a while, like, just the, hey, we're going to chill doing this thing that we've always done. Me, too. <laughs> Me, too. I wanted to try and tease you about seeing a therapist. Like, ha, ha. You're trying to get healthy. <laughs> You're trying to fix your brain. Because <laughs> I think it's dope. And as soon as I can, I will go see a therapist. <laughs> uh, my dudes, I have one thing to tell you. Uh, one, I hate when people tell me their dreams. <laughs> for the most part. Like their hopes and dreams or their dreams they had last <laughs> night? <laughs> Either. I'm not hopes trying to hear dreams. it. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> sleepy dreams. Okay. Because usually it's like they come at you and they're really excited about it. <laughs> And they're like, dude, oh my gosh. Like, uh, I went to sleep, and then all of a sudden I was outside, and I think you were there, and like clowns, and then trees. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> incoherent. And you can tell, like, they felt a really strong emotional thing, but you just can't relate. You can't, yeah, you can't transmit that when you're telling it. <laughs> so for the most part, I like hate hearing people's dreams. Having Especially when a person is mad at you for what you did in the dream. Like, oh. That's another thing altogether. Yeah. Uh, if you guys don't know, MJ once was pissed off at me for a whole day. And come to find out it's because I made out with someone in a dream. So I treated on her in her sleep. And I was like, damn. <laughs> and then she goes, it was with Sean. No, I just started laughing <laughs> in her face, dude. <laughs> Side note. I hate when people tell me the dreams. I'm about to tell you a dream I had. Ah, oh, frick, dude. I'm a hypocrite. Uh... This dream was terrifying, and legitimately, everyone from 3 a.m. was there. We were out in a forest-type situation. There was dilapidated houses we were, like, exploring. Everything was dark. We had a couple fires were, like, lit in, like, what are those things called? Drums? Mm-hmm. So there was, like, ambient light, okay. like, firelight around. We know that there was a homeless encampment across the river. Was it Halloween? Yeah, this is before Halloween. Like, oh, yeah. So it was like a Halloween party or a, yeah, something what the or heck? homeless encampment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone was dressed up. It's homeless. <laughs> Three hundred sixty-five days a year. Uh, anyway, 
Do homeless listen to podcasts? I don't know. Whatever. Um, anyway. <laughs> so we're like exploring. And then I think we're in a building and we look out the window and homeless people are running. And there's like kind of commotion. And you can tell there's like yelling. There's like a distant scream. The mood has changed. We run outside and homeless people are sprinting. And one of us asked them what's going on. And they said, hide, hide, like run. So we all start running. I see one homeless guy jump under a broken down car and hide under the car. And I'm looking around and there's nothing. So I crouch down and I crawl under the car. Other homeless people are running. It's starting to like thin out the crowd, you know, come less and less. And as they're running by the car, they're like bending down and they're looking under the car to see if there's any room, but there's already like three of us under there. So they like bend down, they look and they keep running. Slows down. No one. So I'm under the car and I can see in this field, there's like grass. And there's like the barrel of fire. And I'm just looking around and I see one last homeless person coming and they're doing the same thing. They're like on the ground looking under cars, but they're like moving really slowly and when they get closer, I realize they're not crouching. They're walking that way. And it's a human with really long arms. And it's just slowly crawling. <laughs> and it's like slowly looking under cars. And the neck is elongated, but it's still a human face. And it's just looking around, like slowly crawling through. And immediately, it all clicks. You know how you like understand things in dreams? I understand that this is a Wendigo. Oh, f dude. And somewhere along... The line in this homeless encampment, like cannibalism, the curse of the Wendigo came, turned one of them into a Wendigo. Now he's like hunting everyone. And so the way he was moving, dude, I see him. He looks under another car. I think he sprinted off under an, another person, like a homeless person. Next thing I can remember is we're all back in a building together. We get into a room and we l close the door. There's no lock. And all of a sudden the door's like, and it's like trying to, so we're all like pushing and I sit down on the ground and I wedge myself up against the bed and I just put my feet straight out and it like is perfectly the length. So I just sit there and we just sit there for like 20 minutes and we're like casually talking at the end and it's still just like <laughs> pushing on the door. The Wendigo? Yeah. Wendigo uh, away. Yeah. <laughs> Wendigo home. Wait, it was homeless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I tell you that just because, like, it was so cinematic and clear, the vision of I thought it was just another homeless person, like, looking under the cars, and then I realized it's actually, like, a Wendigo with, like, elongated arms, like, slowly crawling through. Oh, damn. That's the part that scared me the most. Damn. That was my dream. Bro, that's spooky, bro. <laughs> Dude, I, uh, I just started for the first time in my entire life a dream journal. Ooh. Just this morning. Oh, really? Because I woke up and it was still like pretty vivid. So I was like, hey, hey Siri, start, start a dream journal now. <laughs> Starting dream journal. <laughs> yeah, that's so damn loud. <laughs> the light is blinding Ew. my face. Yeah. <laughs> and finally when I uh, assimilate, we were in the woods making samurai armor and <laughs> all this nonsense, dude. I haven't even read it since. <laughs> That's so funny. I thought you like recorded yourself. That'd be so embarrassing to hear your sleepy ass tell a stupid dream. <laughs> I was trying to do the speech to text, but yeah, I talked to two people within the last week, both of which, one of them is Miranda's sister. Uh, Miranda's in the building and she has kept a dream journal written in it every day for like five or six years. Oh, and first of all, who's dreaming night? that consistently? Yeah. It's crazy. She was talking to me about it. And how 
uh, she like fully lucid dreams all the time. I was gonna say, I was gonna say actually the practice of writing dreams down helps you one dream more often and two like have more lucid dreams. Yeah. So and she's I don't think on pur- I can't remember on purpose, uh, but she's like astral projected a couple of times, and then Isaac. Lomely, who provided oh, yeah, yeah. air glow, yeah, who p- provided the lights. Did you want to say his first and last name? For our studio. Yeah. Okay. Uh, same thing. I went to dinner with him the other night, and we are talking about dreaming, and he was talking to me about how he, like, fully, he said his lucid dreaming is exactly how, like, reality is. That's He's like, trippy. It's, like, I see every detail. Well, damn. Yeah, it's insane. Does He's he like, also do, like, the text-to-speech, like... <laughs> Dream journal, or does he like wake up and like got a pen and paper? Just wondering, like best practices here. I can't remember about his dream journaling, but it's been going on for a while, and he too had astral projected, but that wasn't on purpose either. Yikes! He said he left his body and he was looking at himself sleeping where he was, and he said something was like in the room, and it was like not good <laughs> so he said i ran back into my body but running in your sleep sucks ass <laughs> you're all and you like don't move you know what i'm saying <laughs> that'd be stressful speaking of dreams when you were a kid what did you dream of becoming was there someone you looked up to Different or a dream job I wanted to be a cryptozoologist for a really long time, and I was very embarrassed to tell people that. Dude, that's Why? what I tell people, I don't know. like, currently. Because it wasn't, like, policeman. It was a yeah. <laughs> but now everyone doesn't want to. Now I don't care. Do kids now <laughs> say they want to be policemen? Probably not. Probably not. It's like, I want to do a really difficult job where everyone hates you, and it's yeah. still hard. And, <laughs> yeah. You think they understand that? <laughs> yeah. Kids are pretty aware, bro. Um, no, what did you guys want? Like, I went to Plunge, the uh, hot, cold place where you, like, get in a sauna and then get into, like, the cold pool afterwards. It was on Tuesday. And they have, like, these cards that you can read off while you're in between sessions. The card I read off was, uh, what would be your ideal, like, dream job? Hmm. I was thinking about it. was, like, my ideal dream job would be replace Guy Fieri on <laughs> diners, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> it's so crazy. There have been so many people who are, like, Guy Fieri type. And he's like the only successful one. It's true. He I like, would have oh, to change it around a little bit. He like but... opened the doors, said, this is possible. But up until this point, only for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I've heard he's insanely nice. Oh, I bet, dude. Like, how does he get into every nice. single place that he goes to? Dude, just clout, bro. <laughs> he's that clout king. But for real, though, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. Oh. I wanted to be the orange one. But then he just came Michelangelo. out of Michelangelo. Yeah, because he was funny. Yeah. But then he just came out of Turtle. <laughs> yeah, dude. No mutant. <laughs> no ninja. Just no teenage ninja. turtle. Just teenage turtle. Teenage turtle. Ah. What about you? What about me? Like a mainlander. I had no idea what I wanted to be growing up. I really loved Derek Jeter. <laughs> Derek, baseball I looked up, player i looked up to Derek jeter what? i think it was uh, i had like his uh do you remember fathead yeah no fathead was like the company that made like wall stickers mm-hmm. <laughs> like life-size wall decals and stickers so i had a life-size Derek jeter in my room oh my gosh 
I hate that. <laughs> and uh, he's like swinging a bat. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know why. Did I you like baseball? Yeah, I played baseball for a few oh, years. And uh, how am I not knowing this? Because <laughs> uh, now I don't. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, he uh, he was like the best at the time, legend. And I think I just saw on TV, my cousin really loved Derek Jeter. And I really looked up to my cousin. There you go. Mm. But also, I remember seeing him on the TV. And every time, there was always like a girl with a sign saying, marry me, Derek. Oh, said, oh the real reason. Tight. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure like the combination of that. But. <laughs> Dude, I love that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Derek Jeter. <laughs> hilarious. So far removed because sports. <laughs> And how interested I am and uninterested I am in sports now. Dude, I got the crap scared out of me in Hawaii. How? I legitimately, I don't think I can remember the last time I have screamed out of fear or terror. What? Like, do you guys remember the last time you've shrieked? Not. Yes. Really? Yeah. What was yours? Watching Hereditary. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. When the mom is in the ceiling and she's like crawling across you the You legitimately were like, <gasps> Yeah, I like yelled and like grabbed onto Nolan. Like held, <laughs> held his arm. That was the last time I screamed, but before that, I can't remember. Oh, I do actually remember. I was walking the streets in like South Provo one time. Just, it was probably like 11 p.m. And this big black dog started running at me. I was like, oh, f And then it got close to me. It was probably like 10 feet away. And I like, Picked up a rock and was gonna throw it at it and it like stopped and ran away. But I was like, Did you actually scream? You just went, Oh, oh, f well, that was my equivalent of screaming. That's what I'm saying. Like, usually an expletive is like my choice, yeah. But this scared me so bad, I legitimately like, shrieked, shrieked, dude. Yeah, I shrieked. Uh, we're snorkeling, first of all, saw hella turtles, <laughs> which I thought was rare at the beginning of the trip, but oh, apparently no. it's just like mad common. No ninjas, <laughs> no ninjas, <laughs> no. so they're doing their job, yeah. <laughs> Bro, yeah, saw mad turtles. Uh, later, I was told it's illegal to get close to them, so I stayed. Classic tourist, dude. I stayed really mm. far away from all the turtles. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> Stop murdering our nature. I'll show you later. <laughs> dude, the only one who was super preachy on the island about all that was a white girl who'd moved there like a year before from Idaho. And I was oh, like, Stop telling me here. about <laughs> anything. I don't want to. Anyway, not the point. If you want to tell me about potatoes, yeah. feel free. Yeah. I'm snorkeling. We just seen a, a thingy. We're pretty far out there. Saw a turtle. And MJ, my wife's sister, Michelle, she's like talking and she looks over at me and she goes like this. And like super wide eyed and looks right behind me. Terror in her face. And she just goes <gasps> and points right behind me. And I turn and I see this huge effing animal in the water. And I went... Like, I screamed. I screamed so loud. <laughs> and the really big German dude who was snorkeling behind me <laughs> just pops up out of the water and, like, looks up all scared because it was just a huge German guy snorkeling <laughs> right behind me. And I scared the hell out of him, too, by screaming. I was super embarrassed. Everyone laughed. But I truly was, like, had no idea what it was. Because you turn around and it was just, like, this big mass coming right at me. <laughs> And I shrieked, I thought it was Jaws or a shark. It's the German Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, that happened. That's spooky, dude. <laughs> Truly scary. 
Do we have any hot takes? Hot take. I want to steal that from Flagrant. <laughs> Get okay. a hot take and uh, defend it, whether you believe it or not. I was going to say, the trick with hot takes are you got to be, be able to defend it and then, like, tear it down. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. right so right, you, right. like, support it, support it, support it, but then you, like, also... You got to turn it inside out and back around. Hot take. Beagles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, are you going to build that I, up or just tear it down? I don't have any down? material on that right now. No, just when you, when our listeners... <laughs> just hear, look at Google the Beagles. Beagles. Yeah, don't, maybe don't. don't. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I have a couple things from, like, listeners who sent stuff in. Okay. So, uh, during the month of Halloween, <laughs> during the month of October, which, first of all, October, oct is eighth, but it's the tenth month in the year. How annoying and stupid is that, What the guys? hell? Bro, you spent way too much time thinking about that. Oh, pissing me <laughs> off. Anyway, we grew a ton. We got a ton of new listeners and followers. A lot of people sent in, like, little messages and whatnot. Yeah. This is from homie Alex. Because we asked a lot of people, like, do you have any stories? We'd love to hear it. Alex, after we said, do you have a story? He goes, honestly, my life is pretty uneventful as far as paranormal stuff. Um, the only thing I can remember is when I was a kid living in my old house, I walked in the front door, looked left towards the staircase, and I saw a figure of a little girl standing at the bottom of the staircase. Keep in mind, he doesn't have a sister. Oh, okay. So it's, it's a ghostly figure. He freaks out, runs into the living room, yells. They look back. There's no girl. They search the house. There's no girl. But he goes, also, we would hear a ton of creaking as if someone was walking around upstairs and making noise. But I've never really had anything ever since that. And I just Casual. Thought it, I thought it was mad funny. He's like, no, I haven't really had anything, but I did see a full-on ghost. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I thought that was funny. Deej told me oh. about this show on Netflix. Yes. Called Inside Job. Big, big Yes. So good. <laughs> it's incredible. I love it. Did you watch it? I started it. You weren't into it. The first episode's hard, but I'll give it a go. What about it? I don't know. It just seems like, like, I don't know. I don't love the dad character. I don't love the daughter yet. There's no real character I like like yet. And so you're trying to connect to the character. I guess. Uh, okay, okay. What about like the whole setup? It's interesting. I'm waiting to see like where it goes. I was going to say the whole setup is what got me. Like, just, right off the bat, I was like, it, okay. It's just right up 3 a.m. Zally. Yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy theories. Go and watch it. It's on Netflix. Uh, very tinfoil hat, as Sean put it. Yeah. It hits every checkbox in the conspiracy <laughs> book in uh, Deep State. But Dude, I'm excited. I, I, I want to give it a go because of the subject. I, I And your recommendation, I feel like it's going to. Well, and then Deej was like, good. it also came from the writers of Gravity Falls. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Because I liked Gravity Falls. Another little thing from a listener who sent in. They said they swear on everything that's happened to them. Um, at one point, they downloaded Randonautica. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. nodding. Yeah, the app. Yeah. And they did it. They talked to some people. They got freaked out, so they deleted it. Okay. Next day, they woke up, and it was back on their phone, like re-downloaded. And after that, freaked them out. They like re-re-deleted it. And they haven't seen it back in since. But it just made me think. Yeah, I don't know. They, they sent that in and I thought I would tell you guys. F*** me. <laughs> Cut everything I said in the last 30 minutes. 
I was eating French fries, and I looked back, and they were all gone. <laughs> <laughs> Legit though. Dude, this is the biggest be, scary problem. That'd be happening. That always happens with like uh, candy. Like I'll have a Snickers, and I look down, and it's gone, and I'm like, "Where the hell did that go?" Logically, I know I ate it, but emotionally, I don't know I ate it. <laughs> Miranda, you have anything? No. <laughs> Charles has got me, so here he can cover what else? it. What else, DJ? Do you feel a type of way when? People say, um, break a leg, like before events. <laughs> I wince a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no. Been there, done that. <laughs> Look where it got me. Um, but maybe that's why you're here. It's, uh, would you say that you have, I feel like Sean has uh, an, an, an instinct of like fearlessness. Hmm. When it comes down to it, you'll push through it. So, yeah. cliff jumping. You don't wait and think. You'll you just oh go. yeah yeah. Just the it. more you think about it, you don't the less it likely you are to do it. Yeah. Um, Tony Hawk was talking about this on a recent podcast where he knows skaters who are way more skilled, but then there are skaters who are like fearless. I'm gonna put myself in danger more, so that's how I'm better than you. You know, or maybe not. I'm better than you, but that's how I'm gonna achieve success and like in competitions they take these huge risks that everyone else doesn't want to Mm -hmm. and they come out on top a lot of that's what tony was saying about himself uh he was just talking about like that instinct it's like you can't teach that to people yeah i would say that how do you acquire that yourself like you can learn it some people it seems like they're born with it where they can just have like that killer instinct and go for it (laughs) i think too and this might be coming from like a sports background, like like killer instinct, quote unquote, is just not really caring about if I fail. Like I'm thinking about this in a specific way because I went and played basketball last night and I missed like four shots in a row. And then game on the line, fifth shot, of course I'm still taking it. And we won because I took that last shot, bro. <laughs> but that's neither here nor Should there. One more. I'm just <laughs> didn't miss the four. <laughs> but just like not caring about failure, mm. because I think that's the root of taking those risks or like the killer instinct. Because you know you're gonna fail if you don't care. You're gonna keep doing it. Hmm. My opinion. I could be very wrong. Alex Honnold attribute his lack of fear to like a lot of his success. So he even said he thinks genetically or mentally, he just straight up lacks the capacity to fear. So Alex Honnold is the famous free soloist who did El Cap. Look mm-hmm. him up, Sausage Finger Man. <laughs> but he said like he'll he'll be on the wall and just like not feel any fear. And he said it, it happened to him once. I think he was like halfway up half dome and he locks his knees He's in and he takes slab. a break. Oh no, he's standing. And he said like a feeling of fear came over him. And he was like, it was super foreign and weird because he doesn't feel that at all. And he just like shut it out and he like hasn't felt it since. Hmm. I don't know if autism was brought up. Is is he part, is he like a little autistic? He's I, part autistic. Is he like a half <laughs> autistic or something? Half cast autism? Like quarter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is. <laughs> Are you pretty sure he is? Yeah. I, I think he is. I think he's talked about and that. And I think yeah. like his autistic superpower that he was blessed with is like no fear. That's crazy. Which he's like kind of talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like a problem 
in it some could, circumstances. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because like fear, when you die. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when it doesn't pay off. Yeah. Uh, Tony talks about that. Like when he was trying to do like land the 900, which is what made him famous. Uh, it happened. Like obviously it was years and years of trying and trying until he finally got it. But when he like pulled it off publicly, like at the X Games, he was like, this particular jump or whatever, like, if I don't land this, I'll break a rib. And he's like, that's okay. And he just went, <laughs> gotta be okay with it. Like, yeah, he was okay with like breaking a rib. Like, how do you get to that point where you don't care about the failure, the consequence, whether it's physical or even like shame, guilt? Yeah. Or, yeah. I don't know. It's a good question, dude. Great TED Talk topic. I'm trying to apply it to like the podcast. And have we taken any risks or like has fear stopped us? You know what I'm saying? I mean, fear literally doesn't stop us. <laughs> oh, it more so fuels us. Oh. Oh. You're right. You're right. She, what am I talking about? So if you're trying to learn anything about being fearless, listen to 3 a.m. <laughs> Interesting. Neato, guys. Do you want to jump into stories? Or you want to keep chat chatting? Okay. All right, let's take this. Uh, you ready for t- to roll? <laughs> In comedy, I think anything flies, but it has to be funny. Like, that's the first thing. Yeah. yeah. It has to be funny, and then it has to be, like, punching up. I don't think so. I think you can punch down. You think you can punch down? <laughs> Hell yeah. We, should we talk about this? Sure. Okay. In comedy, there is a kind kind of a widely rule. yeah an unwritten rule of you have like punching down is not okay. Meaning like if you, this is this is a tricky this is a tricky topic, and I think this is where a lot of people who are progressive and really inclusive reveal how kind of truly racist and yeah, classist they are. I don't think of punching down because everybody's equal. As a white person, I couldn't make fun of a black person. And you're like, how is that punching down? Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like them admitting they think white people are elevated over black people or anything like that. I don't know. So there's a rule. People are like, yeah, you can't punch down. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Rogan talks about it and I'm just going to steal his, his uh, example, but there is a freak. I forgot his name. There's a really famous comedian who's one of his most famous bits was yelling at starving African people for starving. And they were like, why don't you just move to where the food is? (laughs) (laughs) Like, clearly that's the biggest punch down ever, but it's like still funny and it still works. I think, well, it's like the irony that's funny, right? But he's still punching down. And if that's the rule. I don't think he's punching down because he doesn't actually mean it. Yeah, but how often do comedians actually mean their joke? Because there's a lot of jokes that you don't actually mean. It's just like the funny thing to say or it's, the funny It's take. ironic because it's like not true or like it's like yeah, that's the funny part. Yeah, I, I agree. Like most comedians don't – like it's the joke, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of times with humor or like with stand-up comedy especially, it's like the misdirect. So you like think they're going to reach – a certain conclusion and they kind of like switch it up on you and that's the funny thing yeah. you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah. i don't know i don't i didn't i wouldn't think of that as punching down on what starving do you, africans so what do you think or like is there an example you can think of like punching down that you think is like not the best no not at the moment <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> by fine. definition punching down means you feel like you're better than someone else yeah no. that's tricky 
which, bro, I lived in a place called Possum Trot. You had for three walls in your room. <laughs> you could <laughs> literally be floor, walls. <laughs> Is that a cave? <laughs> hey, you had a shelter, dude. Bro, every time you guys make a joke about me, you're punching down. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hilarious. That's true. I am a So, punch. okay. Was that punching down right there with him? Yeah. I think so. No, wait. I don't know. Yeah, because you think you're better than me, Clearly bro? beneath us. Because I just called his house a cave? You said three walls? Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And and a lot of people are like, that's not okay. Like, you're not allowed to do that. And it's like... Why is it not okay? Eat a penis. I don't know. And why <laughs> is it okay? I'm, like, trying to argue both sides. I think it's because it goes into the bigger issue of victimhood. And... It is very trendy, and it's very, I think, uh, psychologically addictive to want to be a victim. And then if you can justify that you're a victim and see that in the world around you, everyone's a victim. It's just like it gives you a lot of uh, purpose and like justification for your shittiness. I do think a victim <laughs> card, like uh, people will pull a victim card when it's uh, uncalled for and doesn't apply. Mm. And you're clearly not a victim. But... I think there's always an argument for like the minority where like victimhood actually applies. Mm. So in that case, do we not say anything? Do we not make any jokes because of like the minority that exists? Huh. What do you think? I don't know. Cause I, even now I'm going through it in my mind and I can see scenarios where it's not okay. So like, I don't know how to, how to describe this, but let's say like there is a, of like a, I don't know, dude. I don't know. You shake your head. You say no. Uh, I mean, that's also coming from literally. I get made fun of for everything. So I'm like, if I can get made fun of for everything, everybody can get made fun of for everything. And the way they take it is on them. Hmm. But is, there is, that, is that your only take on it? Or do you have other ideas? Um, What do you mean? Because like, yeah, that's the, my main, my, my underlying take of everyone's free game. I have a thought on that. But first, like, do you do you know? Have you ever heard of a menstrual show? A menstrual show. I'm eighty percent sure that's how you say it. But it's like back in the day, there was like comedy sketch shows that would make fun of like African American people, and it was like blackface, and you're dancing, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Yes, ma'am," you know what I mean? Like that's where that all comes from. I'm pretty sure it's called a menstrual show. Can you look that up and be careful what you Google? <laughs> We're sending in an expert over here. Uh, is this uh, to like me, Jim Crow? Yeah, uh, maybe. I would say I'm intent not well... matters like a bunch because like <clears throat> the way that we make fun of each other is not intended to push down. Mm. Like punching down versus pushing down, I think are different. That's that's kind of like the point I was making. Like I can see scenarios where I guess you could say it's punching down, but that's just like when the intention is shitty. Yeah. But there That's are those who, from. like, think words are violence. So in comedy shows, they think, like, anytime you make fun of anyone, like a woman or blah, 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 it's like, or anyone, Asian, like, anything. Yeah. Uh, the intention is bad. Like, no matter how you say it. Does yeah. That, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Miranda? Um, it is a minstrel show. Congrats. Is it minstrel or menstrual? Minstrel. I was going to say minstrel mm. sounded like something <laughs> like that would... Like M-I-N? S T R E L. Thank you for clarifying, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. It's a minstrel show. Okay. Not menstrual. So what exactly is a minstrel show? Um, according to Wikipedia, it's an American form of racist entertainment developed in the early nineteenth century. Wow. With skits 
variety acts, dancing, and musical performances that depicted people specifically of African descent. So that's like where blackface mm, yeah. comes from. Mm. Uh, so I could see that type of comedy, if it's technically punching down, not being okay. But the intent is there of like there's legitimate supremacy involved. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think like 99% of the time nowadays, it's not there. The supremacy. Yeah. Uh, two things. One, I've been really thinking over this thought a ton. And I have people in my life who are very close to me who hate the Mormon church. <laughs> and when I'm with them, they openly bash it super hard, vicious. And I'm okay with it. That's what you think. The issue, I, it's my issue with that. Whole You're okay with it as a, as a Mormon. Yeah, like, okay. believe what you want, say what you want, that's fine. And as long as you and I can, like, coexist peacefully and still believe our separate things, that's okay. And I'm being, like, a step further where, like, I'm not going to say anything. You, you bring that up around me, that's fine. That's on you. I'll even laugh with you, and I'll probably crack a joke harder than you about Mormons. Having said that, the issue is, and I wonder, now, you're openly making fun of something you know I hold sacred. Does that can I return that favor? And I think most of the time, no. Oh. So if that person is clowning on Mormons super hard, and I know that they are like a feminist, they're really pro this, they're really pro that, and I cracked a joke about something they hold sacred, I bet all hell would break loose and they would get really offended. And that's where I have an issue. Okay, yeah, yeah. The double standard, exactly. if you will. So I'm, in my mind, it's like, bro, if you if you want to clown everything that's... And this is an issue with like the world at large. It's like, you can't have these no-go zones if you have all these like free-go zones. So it's like Christians, Asians, like make fun of them as hard as you want. But all of a sudden, you can't make fun of this. It's like... See, I <sighs> find that it's extremely liberating to allow myself to be made fun of for everything. Yeah. Because... A, then I can make fun of anything, yeah. but also like then no one can really make fun of me. Like takes hurt away you. the hurt. You yeah. wear it as armor. It's like homeschool. Yeah, being poor. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. It's like whatever. Well, no. I mean, we've talked about it before, but as a group of friends, we played a game called Psych, which oh, basically yeah. turned us into trying to hurt and harm each other <laughs> as hard as we could with words. And saying the craziest thing about one another <laughs> in a group of friends. And I like think things that friends in our group like confided in me. Also, in. we should play that in Denver. Just oh, I don't know. I'm a <laughs> little a I'm a little uh, tender right now. No, dude, I'm, I go hard all the time. And turning around, I, I, I know what you're saying. It's uh I think I and my bias is I grew up in a culture where everyone made fun of each other. And like I for me it's like you don't matter. That's the joke. But at the same time, <laughs> neither do I. Like, <laughs> we're all in this, like, shitter together, you know? Um, and in a sense, that kind of, like, for me, in my opinion, like, that, like, elevates. Uh-huh. If, like, we're all nothing, then cool. Like, if one person is, like, something more than I am, then uh, that... I mean, obviously, puts it at an, an equal like playing field. So it's to me, it's like leveling everything out. Right. So I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Um, but yeah, and I, I think it's kind of important to talk about as far as like the chemistry of this podcast. And as a listener, like we love the listeners, and they mean the world to us. And literally, we're here because of listeners. 
but they are sitting in on a conversation that's being held between like three best friends. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so like within our friend group, sorry if this offends you, but it's super funny to us to like <laughs> make fun of one another for things you're kind of not allowed to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. Because like, I don't know, I view it as like trust and like love. It's like I trust and love you enough and vice versa that you know I don't mean it. Or like, I'm not trying to hurt you. It's just funny. And we both can laugh at it. Right. And in a way, it's like, I'm showing you it doesn't mean anything to me that like. That I can make fun of that. And I don't tie, like, that's a large part of your identity. But you're also not all that I think of you as many other great things as well. Hmm. It really breeds Dude, the unconditional love. Let's just close tonight. <laughs> Skip now, the stories. We think about this a lot because all of us listen to a lot of comedy. And pretty much all of our favorite comedians are on the offensive. Aggressively. Dude, they like talk about it, how like comedy is under attack right now. And it's like the last bastion of free speech. And there's a pretty big sentiment in the com- comedy world of like, everyone needs to do everything they can to protect like the sanctity of comedy and stand-up comedy. Yeah. If you have time, I'd suggest like go watching uh, Dave Chappelle's Mark Twain Award show on Netflix. It's so dope. Is that the one where he's in front of his house? No. Nah, well, uh, the special? one where he was in front of his house though was so good. The one where he like did oh. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the midst of like all the shit going That's like down. That's not Mark Twain. No. Okay. No, he won the Mark Twain Award, and they brought like a ton of famous people just like talk about the life of Dave Chappelle and like how he approaches comedy and things like that. Dave Chappelle, honestly, interestingly enough is the number one topic right now of what we're talking about of like forbidden comedy. Cause like, do you know everything that's going on? Like the trans community hates him because he's made jokes about them even though. Yeah. Go watch all the, all the specials and draw your own conclusions. Um, What's crazy to me is, uh, people who only read headlines on like matters that they're passionate about. Cause I read headlines and all, all I read headlines all the time. Um, but I'll read further into it. If it's something that either relates to me or something that I, I care more about or right. want to learn more about. Um, and I think that I headlines think we're all guilty of that. are way too general too. So like if someone says, and salacious, they're mad. Like they want to yeah. take the hottest take, yeah. even if it's misleading. entire community is against Dave Chappelle for making one joke. Um, oh, it's been like five years of trans I, jokes. But <laughs> I'm saying that's the that's the headline you would see, though, right? Uh, yes. At the same time, I think it's also dangerous to minimize people's experiences. Okay. Yeah. Um, telling someone like you're you like I don't think you can tell anybody like you didn't experience that when they experienced it, whether like it's from their own perception or not. Uh, There's really no right or wrong here. We don't know. The, but I literally heard both sides this week. Of what? Talk to somebody at work. That's like Dave Chappelle. Do we like him or do we not? Interesting. And like someone was really heated for and against. They said, I think we don't like him. And I said, why? I said, well, I just follow a lot of liberal media. I didn't watch the special, but from what I've read. We don't like Dave Chappelle. And it was like, what? That's crazy to me that you wouldn't read, read, like go to the source and then like figure out the opinion for yourself. Right. That's how I view it. Maybe that's incorrect, but that's how I view it. And then on the other side, there was a, a clip that went viral on Twitter and Reddit of this uh, 
journalist interviewing this old man. He said, what's the most important thing to be voting for for this election? And he said, oh, the most important thing to be voting for is like teaching like actual things in education and not like critical race theory. It's like, what about critical race theory don't you like? And the man says, uh, I'm not going to get into specifics because I don't know too much. He's like, but I know well, I what, hate it. What, what do you know? He's like, uh, I don't know. I just know I don't like it. <laughs> and it's like on both sides, people are at fault for, I don't know, not going to the source. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I've had, I've had people because people know, first of all, Reed was like six feet away from Joe Rogan a couple oh, weeks ago. Geez. Yeah. In Austin. Yeah. Crazy. Literally my dream. <laughs> Joe Rogan once talked about when he met someone super famous, he regretted it because the first thing he said to him was, my girlfriend says you're my boyfriend. <laughs> Which is hilarious because that is the exact same thing I would say to Joe Rogan. Anyway, uh, one person came up to me and they were like, so why does Joe hate trans people? Because they know like I listen to every Joe Rogan podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, like I read this article and all the articles say he hates trans people. Have you listened to it? And I was like, did you listen to the episode? They're like, no. But in the article, it said he hates trans people. And I was like, okay, well. And I explained the situation. I'm not saying one thing or the other. What I am saying is before you make these crazy or like very definite and life-altering like decisions about people, you should probably like go look into this. Yeah, and and make the decision for It just baffles me that people don't. But we're on matters that they care about. We're probably super we're, guilty of the same. Thing. Yeah, I know. I'm. I'm saying that I. I am like Except curious of what I say that I haven't looked into either. Uh-huh. Um, oh, literally, we do that. But I want nonstop. I want people to, uh, like, I want somebody to explain to me the benefits of not looking into the source. No, there's. No I don't one. think there are any. There can't be. And I'm not going to look into the source to find that yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I know that? I read a headline. <laughs> Hilarious. Cool. Well, comedy. Uh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Uh, Dave Chappelle has an insanely cool quote. I actually wanted to bring it to you guys. And I can't remember the whole, whole quote, so I'll have to find it later. But he just says, we have a responsibility to talk recklessly. Um, hmm. I'll get the whole quote. It's dope, and I love it. And I think about the podcast all the time. Talk recklessly. Because off camera, I'm going to be 100% transparent and honest with you guys. There's many times where I've been afraid to say things or make certain jokes just because of the climate and the time that we live in. Mm-hmm. Call me a weak man. Eat my ass. I don't care. Whoa. <laughs> it's Whoa. my decision. That's a plus for you. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Go down on me or whatever. I don't know. No, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, there's been a lot of times, and I think sometimes it has dictated like what we've said or covered. It's just an interesting time. Bro, only reason I don't say it is because I'm not funny. <laughs> That's false. You made me laugh just now. Anyway. Self-deprecating humor. Let's do this. Let's roll. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. <sighs> I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up. Um, 
by getting it off your chest uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet, uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 3am. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. And the roll. There's still the spider in the box, dude. That's fine. So Charles, Sean, then me. Yeah, yo, let's go. All right, guys, for me tonight, I have a story from a listener. Got sent in on Instagram, so shout out Vanny C. Uh, she sent this in. I think she's a new listener, enjoys the pod. Listened to Alex's episode on El Salvador mm-hmm. and said, I decided to send these in because I grew up in El Salvador. Oh, shoot. She lives here now. Um, but she grew up in El Salvador and her dad grew up in El Salvador. And she said recently in her life, she'd been kind of estranged from her father, I think, and was asking him about his life. And I think the question of, have you ever had anything paranormal happen to you? And her dad told her this story. So when her dad was a young kid, he lived in El Salvador. He lived way out in the country. He lived at his great grandmother's house in the mountains of, she wrote, El, and it looks like El Sase. El Sase. El Sase? El Sase? El Sase. The Sase. Anyway. <laughs> she lives way out in the mountains in El Salvador. Okay. So think jungle, subtropical. He's 12 at the time. Lives out in the mountains. Works in the city. It's like an over an hour walk. And he has to make this walk twice a day. So like many people who live out in the jungles of El Salvador... When he walks through the jungles, he carries a machete. Does this walk every day, works, walks home. Does this walk every day, works, walks home. When he's walking home every night, it's in the dark. And most nights, it's completely pitch black. There are no street lights. It's just the stars, the moon, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So he's become pretty accustomed to moving through the jungle at night alone. And he said a lot of people did this. That's why he had the machete um, to either bushwhack or protect himself. He was ready to do so if the the occasion rose, right? Mm -hmm. But he said it never like was easy. You always just sort of grit your teeth, go and hope you make it. Because not only is there like dangerous people, there's animals, all types of things, right? Mm -hmm. And he made this trek every day. (laughs) So one time he's finished work. He's walking back home. To grandmother's house he goes and he hits this stream mm-hmm. and he knows that the stream means he only has 30 minutes left home so he's like damn i'm making really good time 
so kind of excited that he's like doing so well. He takes another step and he hears something. What he hears is a whistle in the jungle. Instantly he freezes and he looks around trying to figure out where this whistle is from. Because ever since he was born, he's been told a story of a woman who at night will beckon children to come to her with whistles and ask for help to find her children. And she usually does this near streams. And everyone who sees her says she wears a long white dress because it's La Llorona. So he hears a whistle and he freezes. Machete in hand, he looks around trying to figure out where the whistle came from when he hears it again. And she said, I think she may have made a typo, but what she said was, the louder the whistle is, the further La Llorona is away from you. But the fainter the whistle means she's closer. I don't like that. Right? I read it like four times to make sure I read what I read. That's what she said. Who knows? All we know is dad, from the second whistle, knows that La Llorona is right by him. So for a solid 15 seconds, he holds his breath and he scans the forest, the jungle around him. And he said he starts from the left and just sweeps right. Nothing's making a noise in the forest. No animals, nothing. And as he goes all the way to the right, he kind of exhales. He's like, okay, I'm good. And he takes one step forward. And he hears a faint above him. Oh. And he said he looked up. And his face was met by another face. And he said a woman was in the tree hanging by her legs upside down right above him. (laughs) Frick, no, dude. Wide-eyed, wide mouth, in a, like, silent scream. Like, she was, like, Uh. like right at him. (laughs) He said he shrieked. Like Charlie seeing a snorkeler. <laughs> now he yelled at the top of his lungs and he sprinted all the way home. Hell yeah, vamanos. Mas rapido, No me gusta. But that was her story. She said she had several stories and that was the first one she was going to send. She had a lot of encounters with gangs, a lot of encounters with like paranormal things. Very crazy. Yikes. I just loved hearing a La Llorona classic. Okay, yeah. The whistle, so unsettling. Dude, I actually whistling at night is now a problem. Yeah. I was I did a hike in Hawaii. It was afternoon and it was this hike that went up into a cloud. So when it finished, we were legitimately in a cloud and it was kind of dark, right? Mm-hmm. And I lost my mind for half a second. I started to whistle and then I was like, <gasps> like looked around, dude, and I was like, bro, okay. you trying to curse chill, yourself chill, or chill, something, chill. bro? Yeah. But anyway, that's Van E. C.'s story and her father's story. That's a good one. I'd much rather it be La Llorona than an actual human. (laughs) If that was an actual... (laughs) The fat dude with bananas. (laughs) If it was an actual human and me. Dude, either way, it's like, no, I don't like it. 
uh, I don't know if I explained it right, but La Llorona drowned her kids in, like, everyone sees her near bodies of water. Mm-hmm. She drowned her kids, and what she does is she, like, walks up and down, and she says, like, have you seen my children? Have you seen, oh, I forgot this part. Because he was told that from a little age, mm-hmm. his mom said, if you ever see La Llorona and she asks you to help her find her kids, you tell her, no, thank you. I'm going home to my mom. And you come home as fast as you can. Oh. Like, usually you tell a kid's story to, like, stay out of the forest. But that one sounds, like, legitimate. Like, yo, if when this happens, you need to do this and get Say home this as fast exactly as you can. exactly and yeah. come home. Yeah. Stranger danger. Yeah. <laughs> but stranger. <laughs> Very stranger. Very stranger danger. Cool. All right. Because that was a short one, let me tell this next one real quick. All right. For my next one. Different continent. Different time. 13th century Europe. And I think it's France specifically. Three noblemen go out in a hunting party. As they're making their way through the countryside, they come over a hill and they're met by three figures. They gasp. They freak out. Their horses rear up because these are three corpses. And these three corpses are at different stages of decomposition. And what's more terrifying is these corpses are the three men. Like their own. They're coming to. What the frick? As they come over the hill, they freak out and they gasp. And the corpses say, such as I was, you are. Such as I am, you will be. Wealth honor and power are of no value at the hour of your death. The three cry out, I am afraid, lo, what I see, and methinks these be devils three. And the three dead reply, I was well fair, such shall you be, for God's love beware by me. So on the screen right now is the famous painting called The Three Living and the Three Dead. This is probably Europe's earliest depiction of death as a skeletal specter. Like the very first one we know of. The very earliest one. Why is that important? So when we recorded in the forest, I told a story about um, a co-worker's friend having something follow him throughout his life in photographs. Um, I also talked about it previously, but remember we were talking about that girl, the aunt got real sick in the trailer and the girl refused to go in the hallway. Yeah. Then after the aunt passed, the girl had no issue going in the hallway. And they said at the very end, kind of as an offhanded comment, I wonder what you guys think about Grim Reapers, right? Mm -hmm. Since then, shout out the subhuman king, or Sean, I think his name is. But he messaged on IG and sent some articles on the Grim Reaper. So I did some research. We're going to dive into the origins of the Grim Reaper uh, as the bonus story today. So if you're not a patron, head over to patreon.com slash 3ampod. And for $2 a month, you will have access to this bonus story and the entire back catalog of all other bonus stories as well as other, other things we post and whatnot. As well as support the pod, which is dope because we grow. 
and we appreciate it. So for regular listeners and everyone alike, we'll be back in a minute. So this is the beginning of the Grim Reaper, or maybe the earliest depiction of something that could be re- resemble the Grim Reaper. And we're back. Back from a very grim tale oh. story. <laughs> Where you guys reaped the benefit. <laughs> anyway, who's next? I'm next. Go, Shawnee boy. Let's do this. Okay, I have a story from another listener. Actually, multiple listeners that submitted this story. So it's from Maddie and Kerrigan, who are both sisters. And they said they've been listening to the podcast for about a year plus. And I feel like I remember when they like initially followed the 3 a.m. pod because I feel like they sent something back in the day too. But they're huge into like scary stories. They said that one story in particular, which was told to them by their dad, is one that whenever they get the chance, whenever someone says, anyone got a story, they're the first to speak up and be like, yo, we have a story. So they had their dad type up the story and send it to us. Oh. Which I'm gonna go. I'm gonna try not to read all of it, but like some of it I will because it's straight from his mouth. And he says he's told this story for decades now. It's the exact story when around the campfire someone says, "Hey, what's your scary story?" This is his go-to, and he says this story is 100% true. He witnessed it firsthand, and his mom can even even corroborate a portion of the story with actual evidence. So he was about 15 or 16 years old, and his name is Mike. 15 or 16 years old, this is about 1967, 1968, sometime in around there. Growing up, the family was pretty involved in the local church, and he was a member of a group called the Royal Ambassadors, which was essentially the Baptist version of Scouts for the location. And this Prestigious, is- dog. <laughs> Sounds way cooler, Royal Ambassadors. Yeah. Okay, but anyways, this is in, like, uh, South Carolina. And typically the age groups at the time were for boys from, like, sixth grade in and around that area to, like, I'm assuming ninth grade, he doesn't say so here, but his age is about 15 or 16. So I'm guessing right around middle school to early high school age range. They're basically like scouts. And once a year... They take 10 to 20 of these royal ambassadors out into the woods for their annual camping trip. He says they had a couple of uh, leaders, Marvin and Bill, were great guys. They were even sports coaches for them as well. They would take them out on these trips, and they would also have these harmless initiations that they would challenge their minds with. So, for example, he describes one of them. Initiations to challenge their minds? Yes. Okay. That's that's what he says. Initiations to challenge our minds. DJ, are you big sus or what? No, I well, yeah. <laughs> no, well, yeah. If somebody came to me and said, I have an initiation and it's, it's gonna, gonna challenge, challenge your, your mind. mind. Initiate me. <laughs> that's what I say. So he describes one of them though. They'll basically at night blindfold them and take them out to the dirt road near their tamp- their campground. And they would stand inside this circle drawn in the dirt road. And they would leave them there blindfolded to just stand there. And then they would go out into the woods and the people who were involved in this 
initiation would be screaming or making noises. And this is all after telling scary stories around the campfire and such. So that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> it's pretty hardcore. Did this expand their minds? This challenged their minds. Oh, my bad. Yeah, challenged their minds. Even after being told stories of like glowing eyes out in the woods and stuff like that. But they're blindfolded, so they can't see the glowing eyes. They just have to assume they're there. They just stand in the circle and get yelled at? <sighs> That's is that what, it, what is? it sounds like. Okay. All right. Moving on. For a lot of years, the mentors of the organization would take the group of 10 to 20 uh, kids out on these camping trips. And at the time, Mike is about 15 or 16, so this is going to be the last summer that he comes. And that's why I assume it goes up to like that ninth grade. Um, so they'd already set up camp in the same traditional spot that they always go to. And it was off of this old dirt road in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, just surrounded by deep woods, cornfields. You get the feeling. So the counselors had actually nicknamed this area Bull Run. And it stemmed from an old local legend where cars driving down this dirt road in the middle of night, would see the red eyes of bulls off in, like, the distance. And he says, like, logically, it's probably other cars on the road ahead of them, and that's what the red is. That's what Mike says. But this was all adding to the local legend of the area of Bull Run. This particular year, after setting up camp, it finally started to get dark, triggering the campfire games and the stories. And this particular group of kids was mostly divided into two age groups, Mike and his two friends, who were 15, 16 years old, and then the rest of the kids, which were a year plus younger than all of the rest of them. So you had like your older kids and your younger kids of the group. And the younger kids, this is kind of their first time, so they're always like coming up to Mike and his friends like, yo, what's next? What are we going to be doing tomorrow? You know, because they're the the professional royal ambassadors. ambassadors. Oh, oh. Yeah, exactly. So towards the end of the night, they're all sitting on logs and falling, fallen trees, and they're positioned around this roaring campfire. And the glow of the fire was swallowed up in pitch darkness just outside of our circle. So it's that dark outside of the firelight. Both of the counselors have gone to bed, and it's all just the kids now, like telling scary stories and stuff. Now, one of the traditions was to venture away from the camp and walk down the dirt road at night. It was always really spooky, he says, and it was often the highlight of the trip. So the older guys, who were Mike, his best friend Bunny, whose real name was Charlie, Bunny. and another friend named Doug. <laughs> at some point in the storytelling, Doug brings up the fact that there's an old abandoned farmhouse nearby that was rumored to be haunted. Of course, all the younger kids wanted to go see it. And Doug and Bunny and Mike are like, okay, you guys can go see it. We've done it before. We're not really we're not really going to go all the way down the road for this right now. So they give the directions to all the younger kids. All the younger kids take off down the road. And at that point, whether it was Doug or Bunny or Mike, they come up with this awesome idea. Let's cut through the forest and make it to the old abandoned farmhouse before all of the little kids, and we'll scare the shit out of them. Heck yeah. So they come up with this idea, and then they take off through the woods, running as fast as they can. Dude, that was scary. Yeah, that, that sent me. 
Booney. <laughs> Doug. <Yeah. laughs> so they're running as fast as they can. Say that part again, though. I don't know. I might keep it in. Who knows? Yeah, we'll keep it in. They take off running through the woods as fast as they can so that they can get to the house before all the other kids. Their plan is they're going to sneak inside the house, wait for the kids to get in, and once they get there, they're going to start screaming and being general terrors to the little kids. Now, they get to basically the backyard of this farmhouse, and it's this giant cornfield. And so they start going through the cornfield, and he notes that at this time it's so dark that regardless of them being hidden by the corn, they couldn't see anything. Like, even them sneaking up on the house, the kids are not going to notice. So they all make it to this old farmhouse, and they come up to the front porch. It's this rickety old wooden porch, and they go up to the front door. Now, as he tried to open the front door, it wouldn't budge. It wasn't locked. Like, they could twist the handle. It just wouldn't open. So the three of them took turns just kind of trying to ram the door open to no avail before gathering all three of them trying to do it at the same time, just like ramming the door to open it, (laughs) nothing. So at this point, they're frustrated. They're like, okay, backup plan. We sneak around the side of the house, jump out at the younger kids when they get here. So they come down off of the porch, and as they do, the front door falls open, just straight out of a movie. This long creak as this front door just slowly opens. A little spooked, they're like, maybe we should still go with plan B, but they know the kids are going to get there any minute, and so they decide on split second, we're going in. So Mike, Doug, and Bunny head into the house, and it's your typical, like, perfect description of an actual haunted house like there's no windows just wooden slats for the windows you walk in and these warped floorboards through the hallway some floorboards missing and the layout of the house is one hallway with two side rooms one side room is like a bedroom one side room is like a kitchen uh, dining area situation so they reluctantly step back into the house And they head down the hallway and into one of these rooms. And it's almost like going from dark into darker as they're leaving the outside where there's, I'm assuming, no moon because there's no real light outside to now into the house where it's super dark. Now, inside the house, it was layered with kind of this thick coating of dust and dirt. And whether there's an actual haunting in this house, it's kind of perfect. They're going to start screaming once they hear all the other kids getting there. So they close the front door behind them, head into the room. They're kind of whispering to each other like, hey, okay, you go over by this window. You go over by this window. We're going to wait till they get here. And they waited there for nearly five minutes. And they began to hear the sound of the younger kids coming down the road. They must have been really loud laughing and, you know, not caring about how haunted this area actually is. So they hear them. They're probably a couple minutes down the road. And Mike says, that is when all hell broke loose. First, Doug lets out the most blood-curdling scream. And Mike says, all he can think of is, you're too early. We're supposed to be waiting for this. 
And as he's thinking that, feels Doug run past him and jump through the wooden windows to get outside. Almost immediately after, his other friend, Bunny, did the exact same thing. (laughs) Running past him, jumping, hops. (laughs) hops through the window to... They don't know what was outside immediately out that window, but he noted... The screaming was not the kind of screaming you would make to scare somebody. It was the screaming you would make when you're scared. Mm -hmm. And so Mike is trying to figure out what's going on. And this all happened within about 10 to 15 seconds at most. His mind is whirling and he's confused about what he just saw. And then he feels himself get pushed up against the wall by some unknown force. And as anyone would do, he starts trying to fight whatever it is. He starts kicking and swinging, and he's not getting a hold of anything. And then as he's backed up against the wall, something picks him up and lifts him a foot off of the ground, pressing him against this wall. And he's still just like swinging with his hands, and he's not meeting with anything. At one point, he says that he uh, takes his right arm trying to like break whatever was holding him up against the wall from his left armpit because they grabbed him by his two armpits. And there was just nothing there. But he could feel the pressure against his body. Now, a couple of seconds and this ended, it dropped him back onto the ground. And at this point, he does the same thing jumping out the window to meet his two friends. Now, both Doug and Bunny and Mike were all hyperventilating, terrified about what had just happened. They're all like sharing what had happened to them at this point, trying to convince all the younger kids that just now showed up that there was something in the house. Now, they were all convinced that they had made it up, like all the younger kids were convinced they had made it up. But regardless, they were all terrified, too terrified to come in the house. So they start heading back to the campground. And Doug and Bunny and Mike are all talking about it. And Doug and Bunny are like, I felt like something like walked past me and like brushed me. And so I freaked out and like ran outside the house because I knew that that was not you. And then Mike shares his experience, which was a little bit more terrifying than just being brushed up against by some entity. And as they got back to the campsite, they all sat down in their normal spots by the campfire, continuing just the kind of idle chatter and conversating about what had just happened to them. And as this is going on, Mike starts to notice that everyone is kind of looking at him weird. And he starts looking around the campfire, and everyone is looking at him, starting to give him like this weird look. And specifically, they're looking at his chest. And one of them points and is like, what's, what's that? And he looks down at his shirt, and it's covered in blood. He's still freaking out, and he freaks out even more. And he, like, pulls up his shirt and sees four scratch marks across his chest diagonally. And he he noted that, like, it wasn't super deep. Like, it would be the equivalent of somebody, like, scratching just with their four fingers, but not super deep. But it had somehow bled into his shirt. So he freaks out. And the whole time, all he can think of is how 
when he was pinned against the wall by whatever had lifted him up, nothing was actually there as he repeatedly kicked and swung at it with all his force. No tears or gashes either during this whole process that he was aware of, but somehow he came away with four scratches across his chest. And to this day, he has no clue what it was or wasn't. But he does remember that his mom confronted him after he got home about what the blood on his shirt was. To which he was like, uh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And The devil, mom. <laughs> she's convinced, or she convinced him to share what had happened. And he told her what exactly had happened. And his mom had actually grown up in Charleston, South Carolina, and had many experiences with the paranormal during that time. And she'd always been sensitive to these types of things as well. So she decided immediately, we're going to burn the shirt because we're not trying to bring She's this thing around playing, with us. bro. So they burned the shirt. Fortunately, he said nothing else ever happened to him. And in retrospect, he, in retrospect, he wished that he had kept the shirt just as proof of what had happened. Hmm. But to this day, this is a story he always shares with his two daughters, and this is the one they always share around any time they get the chance to share a scary story. That's dope. So that is a story from Kerrigan and Maddie. Shout out, long-time Shout listeners. Shout out, Kerrigan and Maddie. That's a way fun story. I had fun reading it. I was like, ooh, this is something we would totally do. That could easily become like the town classic. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like the urban legend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think's more haunted, the south or the north? Uh... I'm going south. Me too. South. Uh, Anytime I hear about like hauntings and stuff in the south, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> That's crazy. That's fun. I love uh, that they started out trying to scare, but then they were the ones who were scared. Bro, I think about this frequently because I typically go about things trying to scare. <laughs> like the time I went out to the pink house just to wait for everyone to get there and scare Jordan. Could have been you, bro. It could have been, dude, as I was in that house all by myself. But anyways, that is kind of fun that it started out and they played themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Booney. <laughs> His real name was Charlie, though. So. Hey, yo. Call me Booney. Booney. Call me good Booney. Um, <laughs> that was way fun. Thanks for sending that in. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Thank you. That was a good one. And that's me for tonight. All right, boys. Let's go. Okay. Uh, this story comes from a listener, a recent listener or a listener who's recently found us. And, uh, it's funny. She's left her name anonymous, but she like ousted her friends and like named all of them. <laughs> um, but she's that might just be, them if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that just might be an alias. Uh, she talks about how spooky season. She sent this during October. She said this time of the year is my favorite. Um, it is, it is my time of the year. <laughs> And she said, in my life, I've seen a lot of crazy shit. I was in the police force for a, for about a year, decided I didn't like it and switched careers. And now I'm um, in the medical field. So she she, she now, she says, I, I love my job now. I love, love, love it. And we work in a clinic. It sounds like a small team. And uh, this clinic is, I think it's like an uh, like the business has like an apartment as well. Like there's an upstairs to it where it used to be an apartment. There's a room, uh, like a bedroom with a kitchen and shower bathroom. 
Maybe for like um, the doctor if they're doing long hours or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, a lot of them are on call, and sometimes they get called in late um, or work overtime, so they'll they'll stay there and, and take residence for a night or two or so. And all of these experiences within – so we've experienced a lot of things in the house, and all of the experiences uh, happen mostly when we were isolated – it's late. We're working overtime. Everyone has gone home, and it seemed when I when I was reading this story, felt validating because this person, along with all their closest colleagues, and likely friends in the workplace, each experienced something uh, slightly malicious. And in these experiences, you can tell that there is something there and it is asserting uh, almost like an agenda that it doesn't want you there. Hmm. So the very first one comes from coworker Mary. So Mary is staying there late uh, to catch up on paperwork and whatnot. And it's not uh, necessarily late in the day. It's about 5 p.m., but everyone's gone. She's the only one there. Mm-hmm. Mary's on the phone with her mom as she's finishing up at the office. And her mom also hears everything on the line that's going on. And what's going on is she hears a loud slam. And it's coming from the operating room. Uh, This clinic used to be in OBGYN. And I think uh, they currently still work in... with mothers, I think. Um, I'm not sure. But um, Mary hears a loud slam and it's coming from the operating room. So she heads over and the operating room is pitch black. You know, there's no windows. It's, it's dark. And as she's peering in through the win- uh, like the door window, mm-hmm. um, she can't see anything. And while she's looking inside, slam, she hears it again. She decides, not for me, packs up her stuff, dips. And that was the first instance that they had experienced, or at least that was written in the story. The next one is Angela. So Angela is their appointment coordinator, and uh, she frequently stays at the office late um, for administrative work. Angela is the only one in the office in this instance, And she's standing at the fax machine, working with some paper, when her back is facing the office door. And she feels something behind her. And Angela freezes because something sounds in her ear. And it's a... A long, loud sigh right behind her. She turns around. Nothing's there. She said, it was like someone was standing directly behind me and was ready for me to leave. That passive aggressive guy. Yeah. yeah. (sighs) Hurry up with the the facts. Uh, She grabs her stuff and leaves. Next, Jessica. Uh, She's like the assistant to one of the surgeons there. So she's getting down and dirty. She's 
front and center with these operations. And one night they get called in late for like an impromptu operation. So they're there, stat. And they're working late into the night and they finish and uh, they're starting to clean up. So she goes into the office by herself uh, to do some paperwork. She hears a tapping sound. She stops and she's listening more intently and the tapping starts up again. She realizes that it's somebody tapping their finger like on a desk. Uh. And she looks at the office desk at where the, the sound is coming from and no one's there. And the tapping is uh, increasing in speed. And she says, it, it felt like somebody was impatient and didn't want me to be there <laughs> and wanted me to leave. As she's listening to the tapping, Jessica call, uh, picks up her phone, punches in the numbers to her fiance, puts the phone to, to her ear, and she hears a roar of static, and the call immediately drops. She tries to call her fiance again, but then her phone is rendered useless. It's not functioning. So she feels like whatever happened, like, bricked her phone. So at that point, she it's just rude. heeds the warning of the tapping and, like the others, grabs her stuff and, and leaves. And then there were two. It's also the impatient ghost, dude. It's like, geez. I wonder what really goes on when everyone goes home. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> let's go. So one part about this house is uh, when you go upstairs and there's the room and uh, the kind of living area if you're staying there late, is there are these doors that go up to the attic. And up there, they, uh, they're they like rafters. And there's sections uh, where there's boards that you can walk on. And in those sections, they store random things, Christmas decorations, other th office supplies. And there's parts of the attic that have no boards and you can't walk on unless you're walking on like the beams. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, the listener who submitted these stories is sharing everybody's experience. The last one is, is her experience. She says, this is my story. So this happened in uh, October of 2019, she said. And we had normal hours at that time because it was before COVID. She said, I remember it was getting dark. She said, I was, I was talking to a patient on the phone and I was jotting down notes from our conversation. This patient was going to come in tomorrow and I needed to leave this note for the nurse practitioners who were going to be working with them the next day. So I end the phone call and I take this post-it note and I'm walking down to the room or the office where the nurse would be so they could have this information to review. So I'm reviewing it to make sure like everything that I wrote down makes sense. And while I'm walking, I look up and she says, I saw a shadow that was darker than the dark around it, peering around the corner to the big exam room. It saw me and darted back. I stopped dead in my tracks and I was about to keep walking that direction when the dark corner of my brain says, heck no. <laughs> The light corner of her brain. Um, 
Yeah, probably the light <laughs> went over me. Um, uh, she said that I felt like an a little bit of an urge to want to go and see, but I was positive that if I did go, I would see something, and it would be something that I did not want to see or would regret seeing. So I turn around and head back. Uh, I called for my manager. Her name's Brittany. And I said, Brittany, are you are you 100% sure that the back door is locked? And Brittany turns to her with a huge just WTF look on her face and says, <laughs> yes, why? And she uh, describes to her what she saw, this, uh, this shadow figure that was darker than the dark surrounding it. Brittany says, let's go and check it out. So... <laughs> They go together, and as they're approaching the spot where this shadow was, they reach that point, and they hear a loud slam, a big bang, and the noise is coming from right above them. The listener says, what was terrifying about this is that the slam came from directly above our heads, but I know for a fact that above our heads in the attic, there's no floorboards. Like you cannot walk on this section above us. So they yell up to another employee uh, at the front desk asking if she's okay, wondering if, you know, possibly maybe we misheard something else happened elsewhere in the building. They ask if she's okay. Uh, She says, yeah, I'm fine. They say, did you hear that? And she says, hear what? So she was, they were the only ones who experienced that. They, I guess, pack up for the day, and they all leave. Smart. So the listener ends this experience by saying, when I saw that shadow, I swear on everything dear to me that the presence was mean and did not in any, uh, under any circumstance want me back there. This was a fear that I've never felt before. I largely or largely because I do not have a ready explanation for what I saw. I still don't to this day. So a few weeks after this shadow incident, uh, she goes into the office and I guess around the corner or in the room right next to her, she hears like ruffling of papers. So she runs in to tell her coworker, uh, you know, stop playing around, like stop doing this to me. You know, she walks into the room and as soon as she walks through the doors, the papers stop and she finds herself that she's still alone. She walks into an empty room and nothing's there. Nothing's, uh, no person is there to uh, make a disturbance. Yet she, she's hearing these sounds. She ends her submission talking about how she thinks that this veil Uh, between our world and like some spiritual plane she thinks that it thins uh, for certain people and at certain times of the year and she thinks october is a time where the veil thins and uh, things start to leak through or peer through the veil uh, when it previously shouldn't or couldn't but uh that was our anonymous listeners Hmm. story submission uh working in their uh haunted hospital dude (laughs) whoa Thank you for sending that in. Creepy clinic. Yeah. That would suck to have to <laughs> work someplace and spend a lot of your time where like something alive or dead doesn't want you there. Oh, yeah. Uh, it feels like she doesn't uh, 
it doesn't bother her too much because she doesn't bother with it. Mm. Uh, she said yeah. she loves her job. Well, maybe she doesn't love the place, but uh, I wonder if her coworkers feel similarly mm. or if she's the freak. The first couple things were like hmm. mostly harmless until they break the phone. And I'm like, <laughs> no, but seeing the shadow and then getting a distinct feeling, that's where I'd be like, oh, freak. I got to turn in my two weeks. But then. Her manager, Brittany, was like, oh, we got to go check it out. And I've been thinking about this recently. Do I ever pressure you guys like that when I'm like, yo, we got to go check this out? Yes, and I'm, I want to talk about it, Sean. <laughs> yes, and I'm about it. If I have a friend, then I'm way more. I'm like 100% confident. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going we're gonna to go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the phone thing uh, concerned me because I experienced something similar. I can't remember if I've shared this before, but I was... Working in Santa Barbara uh, for the summer a few years ago, and one of my coworkers, it was Will. Mm, yeah. Um, Will Higby. He was sitting next to me, just like scrolling on his phone. And it was like midday. Sun was shining, so it's warm. It's California. I'm on my laptop, and for a couple of years, I would get emails from the Illuminati. Oh, yeah. Whether it was dude. actually the Illuminati or not, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. But uh, this 4, Illuminati 000. was like the sales department because they kept trying to sell me like rings oh. and books. <laughs> and I was close to buying one at some point because it sounded at the very least uh, dope. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I get a notification and it's this email and I hadn't seen one for a couple months. I was like, yeah, check this out. I get emails from the Illuminati. <laughs> and he's like, no, you don't. And uh, I open it up, and it's like, dear DJ. They address me by name. And they, like, go through their whole spiel on, like, the purpose of, like, uniting everyone under you know, one order and uh, things like that. Their whole uh -huh. spiel. Yeah. And then they talk about, like, uh, all of this purpose is represented in, in this book, and you can learn and see for yourself through this book. And uh, they have like a button to click to the shop where you can buy <laughs> buy the book. And uh, they sign off at the end. I finish reading it. Will finishes reading it. And as soon as we finish reading it, I say, isn't that kind of crazy? And he says, yeah, man. And then my computer glitched. Like the whole screen like oh, went static and my computer shut down. I'm like, Max, don't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I booted it back up and it didn't happen again. But yeah. They own your computer. If anything, it was like just the craziest coincidence. You know what happened? You were being tested and they were letting you in, but then you shared it with an outsider. Oh, you, bro. So you failed the test. Oh. You could have been a little Illuma mommy. <laughs> you naughty. Dude. I was Illuma naughty. Yeah. <laughs> naughty. <laughs> and with that. <laughs> with that shite joke. Uh, we close. Yeah, let's do it. That was a fun up. Thanks, everyone. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I was excited to come back with everyone in studio. Yeah. Everyone's been gone. So, uh, yeah, we love y'all. Uh, trust your gut and watch your back. Bye, love you. Be safe. Be careful out there. Goodbye. See ya.
Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3AM. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so, submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. So file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. It's criminal.